All right. Well, you've got the solo show, a 100% dose of Jeff Janakovo here today with you on this episode, coming to you live on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn on Tuesday, November 15th. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I wanted to take this time to uh, kind of focus the show on something that I'm very much focused on uh, here uh, as of late with those that I work with, uh, all about the journey to the investor seat in your own business and what that's going to do for you when you get there and you take that seat and sit down in it, all the great things it'll do for you. Uh, Before I go too much further, I've been remiss in asking this. I listen to a lot of other podcasts. I hear other people do this. If you like this show, Could you help me out? Could I ask a favor if you've gotten value from it, from the amazing guests that I have on? Go review it uh, on whatever podcast player you're listening to. Uh, Go throw it a review. Um, The uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts, obviously, I think rank a little heavier, uh, give a little more weight, a little more one-two punch to them. So if you could head over there, that'd be great. But uh, I'd really welcome the review wherever you can give it. That would be awesome if you can share this show on whatever channel you're watching it on, whether that's LinkedIn uh, or Facebook, you're easily able to share it there. Say, hey, love checking into this show that's live streamed every week. Uh, Jeff puts on a great show and really Jeff hosts a great show. My wonderful producer, Chris of Cast Ahead, helps me put on a great show. But uh, I'd really appreciate that if you could give me a review uh, and if you could share this. Comments are always great. We can answer them in real time as we go. Uh, And if you happen to be picking this up on a podcast player, you want to check out the video of these shows. You can go to my website, thejeffg.com. Check it out there. You can go to YouTube. Um, check it out there. Just put in the Big Ticket Life in the search bar and you'll find the channel. Subscribe. would love that. I'd really appreciate that. It's the first time I've asked that. I think this is 47 episodes. I believe in giving a tremendous amount of value first. And uh, I feel I've met that bar. So I'm asking. Thank you. All right. So... Journey to the investor seat. So this is really uh, a concept that I think so many business owners and look, small business is defined as a business that's less than fifty million dollars a year in revenue, uh, which is a very large business. And so much of small business powers our economy. And there's so many myths. There's so many you know misconceptions. There's so many limiting beliefs around how a small business owner should operate their business. Uh, so if you're one of those people that have a lot of people talking at you, typically those people are talking and chirping and being loud uh, from the observer seats, as I like to call it, from the cheap seats. They've got no investment in what you do. They've had no time along the way. But any move you make, they've got an opinion and they let you know it. And uh, the reality is most oftentimes those voices come from people who work a nine to five. Uh, sometimes these people that want to constrain what your thoughts are, what your opportunity is or isn't, uh, are sometimes your most closest people, family, friends, maybe a spouse, relatives, um, you know, you name it, all of these things come at you. So I'm here to tell you for the next, you know, 40 minutes or so, 45 minutes or so that we're together, uh, shed that. You can turn it off because I'm going to give you what you can do, the business you can operate. And really, that seat, maybe you haven't been thinking about. Maybe your mind right now has been, you want to just shift from the, you know, fire chaser, putting out fires, right? The fireman uh, seat. You want to get out of that seat. And we could talk about that today. Uh, But really, when it comes down to it, the first thing I want to hit you with 
is if you're unhappy with freedom and income, if you're unhappy with that, with the amount of freedom that you have and the amount of income that you have, then our time together today, I think, will be very impactful for you. Of course, I say think because I can say it, I believe in it, but you have to be the one open to it, receptive to listen, and then and then go take action in some capacity with what you hear today, what you listen to on the show. So if you're unhappy with your own freedom, with your own income, and and let's not get it twisted, the income in your life directly correlates the amount of uh, freedom that you enjoy. You can have all the free time you want, but if you're not able to go donate some of that money, be impactful to the community you serve, go enjoy the fruits of your labor through vacations, hobbies, whatever, all of that takes income. If you don't have that, that freedom is nice, but you know, uh, it's kind of fleeting at that point. But you know, look, if you're happy doing the work and the business that you have, you know, if you're one of those folks that uh, has a, has a business that pays you and pays your bills, and that's what you're happy to do, and you have all the family time and all the free time you want, that's great. Uh, I applaud you for having that clarity in life. Uh, maybe our time together is not going to be all that impactful for you. I hope it would be. But if you want more freedom and more time and more income to really live um, on your terms and, and do business and life on your terms, uh, then you simply have to shift these seats, right? We, I already talked about sitting in that seat of the the chief uh, fireman or firewoman, right? Putting out all the fires in your day. Then there's always, always that shift into the seat of like, you're in charge of everything. I call that a Chivo, right? People confuse being in the Chivo seat, chief everything officer with being in the CEO seat. You know, that CEO seat is good, right? The chief executive officer, uh, it's good. Uh, however, um, I think there's a seat that can pay you better uh, in your business and in your life, and that's that investor seat. Shifting to that investor seat. So the mind shift uh, shift here is is that when you uh, think about being your own investor and acting like your own investor, thinking about your business as an investor would. And then acting as that investor would in your business for yourself and for your team and for your customers. When you think about it that way, that's a big shift that I don't feel a lot of people get to. Uh, they often build teams. Uh, they build teams around their strengths. Uh, they build teams around their weaknesses. But really, your, your whole company needs to be built around the one simple fact that if you are out of the business tomorrow, and I don't want to be too morbid, but if you have an accident and you're not able to work, what happens? God forbid you have a fatal car accident or another traumatic incident and you're just not on this earth anymore. What happens? What happens for your family, for your team, for your community, for your customers? What happens? The business you build should really be able to replace you because it, it can, because you're in that investor seat. And it's only once you kind of arrive there and sit in there properly and run your business as though you are the investor in your own business, do you then begin to unlock a lot of these really, really great benefits. So how do you know? Is that you know, maybe you feel you're in that seat now? Well, let's test it. So your investor seat is empty in your business. If, if these things are somewhat of your reality... I've said this before, you're always putting out the fires. 
Um, you know, and life tests you. You know, I sit here today uh, as as my business businesses run, and uh, it, it's funny how life will test you. Uh, my friend Ryan Stuman, uh, leader of uh, Apex and uh, Apex Entourage. Uh, calls it the force of average. So as I'm giving you this presentation today, I'm being very real and honest with you. There has been a lot of non-investor-like things trying to grab me and pull me in and take me away and make me be that fireman and pick up the fire hose. And I'm really pushing back to not do that because we have teams for these, for these instances. So if you're always putting out those fires and you don't have those teams to ultimately put them out for you, that seat is empty. That investor seat is empty. Um, if you're the one that can only sell the premium customers, you're the only one that can move the premium product, you're the only one who's really able to affect that level of business, that investor seat is definitely empty and likely speaks to the need to really build out your sales team. If you feel obligated to be in the business working, right? Like your very existence is tied to, you know, the, the shackle in your mind, if you will, being tied to your business. Uh, and that, and that may come, that feeling may come from all those loud voices from the cheap seats, right? It may come from that. Uh, and you, I'm giving you permission to ignore it. Like what their perception of, your reality and operating your business is, is almost always inaccurate. Okay. Uh, you don't have to feel obligated to be in the business. Now, if you don't have a team <laughs> around you for sales, for operations, for back end, uh, for fulfillment, well, then you need to get there. You don't just go stop and say, well, I'm not going to be in my business because Jeff told me so, but you need to work to build that, uh, build those teams. But if you feel obligated to be working in the business, uh, that investor seems empty, and we need we need to fix we need to work on that. Uh, you're told that if you're absent, the business will fail, right? The absentee owner paradox. You hear often, you know, oh, that business failed. It was a good business, you know. Then the family really kind of sat back and enjoyed it, and they became absent in their business. They were absentee owners. The team ran amok. Customer experience went down the hill. You know, the product wasn't as good. The food wasn't as good. You know, they, their service people in my house kept messing things up and breaking stuff. All those typical stories that we've always heard. Um, that's very much a reality. Uh, but you know what? There's an awful lot of businesses that have changed hands, changed ownership, management that handle those hurdles and those obstacles of changing teams, of changing service offerings. And they're not in the business, but yet the business still succeeds. So again, a lot of what I'm sharing with you here first is to kind of shed off and ignore that noise that's out there. Because you might be hearing something new about being and conducting and operating as your own investor, as though you were your own investor in your own business. This is the mindset I want you to take. If you take anything today, it's Take that. Say, I'm going to be that investor in my own business today because I believe my business is able to run this way. I want it to run this way. It's time it runs this way. And I can, I'm the one to lead it in this way. So, like, you might be thinking, well, what, you know, what does that look like? What does sitting in 
your own investor seat look like? You know, well, your business runs. Okay. The business runs. It's open the hours you have it open. You service your customers when they need to be serviced and it operates. It operates a day at a time, a week at a time, a month at a time. It continues to go. Uh, there have been moments in, in the business that I have and in the business I run where, uh, one of the businesses, we have a quarterly, uh, check-in call with the partners. And that's, that's my obligation with my partners. Um, my obligation to our customers is, uh, is about the same. And, and that runs because that team runs the rest of it. But that's my investment. Okay. Um, in the retail business I co-own, uh, I do not need to be there. Uh, I have friends and family that say, I want to come buy from you. When will you be at the store? And my default answer is, well, I'm there these days, but this is the open time window. And it's really a two hour window on a Thursday, which almost always never works. Um, it's not that I don't want my friends and family to have what we offer. It's that I very much control my time. And in fact, because I so value my time, I've told people if I have to come in outside of my schedule, away from my team helping you, because they're actually better at it than I am, because it's their core focus each and every day. I could argue you should pay more, not less, right? Because friends and family often want that discount. So the point of this is that your business runs, and that's what it looks like when you're in that investor seat. And you have the confidence to say and operate and do things in that way. The business also pays you well. Like your paycheck is never subject to, well, the rent's due and we haven't made enough. All right. So however you get, I use paycheck as a general term. You know, I don't need, uh, I don't need the eye rolls and the comments back and the private DMs about, well, you don't know about tax strategy 1072, subchapter three, section 2A. Uh, listen, I'm well aware of all the different tax strategies. I'm simply say, saying whatever you determine to be your compensation from the business, um, it, it happens regardless. And, and it's, and it's fair compensation. It's good compensation to great compensation. And it can, and it can grow. All right. And it should grow year over year. Uh, because doing life and business on your terms kind of means your fun stuff, your hobbies are going to grow year over year. Um, so the business pays you and it doesn't sacrifice your pay, your compensation because rent is due because payrolls due for the team. Uh, it also generates profit without you in it. Okay. Uh, the, the business generates that profit at the year end and you take that profit. And then again, your, your, your real investor like moves are you do understand the tax code and you do have other things that maybe house that profit, like real estate, as an example. Real estate's a fantastic vehicle to house profit in uh, where you never lose it. It never gets taxed, and what you put it in actually grows. Um, and if you're really smart at the real estate game, it never really ever gets taxed, and it's all perfectly legal. Um, so that profit generates without you in it, and you have a really, really great you know, financial security, and you enjoy life. Ultimately, that investor seat means you have a team. You have a team for operations. You have a team for sales. You have a team for fulfillment. You have leaders within your business that do all of these things and that you can trust. And 
the reality here is this is probably the biggest thing that people miss is they, they feel they can't delegate. They're going to want to say to themselves, you say, you know, I, I can't possibly let my sales manager handle customer complaints. I'm obligated as the business owner to do so. Well, I mean, that, that's just not the case. If your Big Mac is bad at McDonald's, you don't go holler at the ghost of Ray Kroc. Okay. You go to the manager. And it's actually never the owner of McDonald's. In fact, little known fact about McDonald's is that if you're a franchisee and you're caught working in the business by your area manager uh, that oversees the franchise territory, you're actually penalized because the model is not owner-operated. It is a franchise investment for the owner. Uh, so that's very intentional and very structured within that, you know, McDonald's example. So that team uh, should be able to have these critical tasks delegated to them. Uh, you know, in my retail business, uh, my team pretty much has carte blanche to make any customer happy up to a specific dollar amount. And I don't need to be involved because ultimately our whole goal is five-star experiences. So Whatever they feel is best, and we've we've worked through scenarios, we've role-played scenarios, we've looked at past instances, and we basically aggregate the outcomes, we aggregate the solutions that we provide back. And I empower the team to just say yes. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, wouldn't you do that anyhow? So why not remove yourself from that, continue growth actions, investor actions, and just allow your team to operate? They feel ownership. You know, you want people to feel like they have impact in your company. If you want people to feel as though they have ownership in, in the business without ownership, that's how you do it. You allow them to be important. You allow them to find resolution. You allow them to bring an idea to fruition, whether that's a new service offering, a new product. You allow them to do that and take ownership of it. You don't have to ride them like Seabiscuit and say, well, that's a really great idea, but I'm going to put my touch on it. So now it's my idea. For me, I always want the best idea. And for me, my role in any of the businesses I work with and those that I uh, consult with and that hire me is I want to be the one that inspires the ideas. I want to be the one that raises everybody's consciousness and thought up about what we're doing. Because year over year, if we're not growing, if we're not taking market share, we're behind. And your business is too. So that, you know, sitting in that investor seat looks like that. It feels like that. I hope I just connected with you about being the person that creates those ideas, that creates the environment where those ideas grow and they're not yours. They're your teams. And they're excited about it because it's their thing and they want to be the one to say, this is, this is what I brought to this company. I mean, what, what a way to make a connection with those on your team. And they're the ones that ultimately sell, fulfill. They're on the front lines, not as a bullet catcher at all. Uh, the, your commitment to experience, your commitment to your purpose, your mission, and your values puts them on the front lines easily to say, come in, we're the place, not on the front line to catch the bullets at all, because 
the right mission, the right purpose, and the right set of values that you help create for your team, they'll 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 go right on the front line. And again, this is why you watch the video because you can't get in this oil. They'll put their chin up across that line and say, "Yeah, come, we're we're the best option." And here's all the reasons why. And they'll be happy to do so because they have ownership and all that. They feel like they're part of something. And that's what an investor seat looks like. That's the kind of business you should want to have because it will pay you well. Your business will run without you. You'll profit at the end of the year. And that team will operate and you'll be proud of the way your team operates because you're leading it effectively. So, you know, okay, you're thinking, well, Jeff, that's cool and all. Um, but I'm still a little hesitant. Are you, what are you saying? I, I delegate. What are you saying? I don't delegate. Well, to me, there's two things that you absolutely never, ever delegate. Uh, first one is your marketing, all right? Because that uh, at this level, right? The $5 million to $50 million level, $1 million, $50 million level, small business level, marketing is so, so very important because we cannot be Coca-Cola, okay? Like Coca-Cola has reached a point where they kind of have to come up with almost silly-like campaigns just to have something new. And they have to do that because they've been a market-dominating force for nearly 100 years. A little story about Coca-Cola is in the Depression, Moxie Cola, which was Coca-Cola's bigger competitor, stopped advertising. Coca-Cola kept going. Moxie failed. It's now subsequently been uh, picked up by an independent bottler. But Coca-Cola, we all know, is the juggernaut that it is. They have to just kind of keep on making new campaigns because if they don't, Pepsi, other drink beverages, catch them. But in this level, ownership of that marketing is so, so important. And it is a growth effort. It, and that is what investors do. Investors focus on growth. We're not like Coca-Cola where our brand is what it is because we've built 100 years of equity in that brand. Our brands at the small business level are created through the sole function of getting new customers and having a whole system to get those customers to buy more, refer, and be fans of your business. So that's why marketing is one thing that you as the investor really should not delegate. You can have social media teams to you know, punch the keys and make the posts. I have that because God help me, I'm about ready to stop doing all of the social media posting that I'm doing. Uh, I still will have it. It's just somebody else will be doing it. Um, but understanding that that's still a critical marketing effort, it's still going to happen in my businesses. Uh, the other thing we don't delegate is the checkbook, right? We've always heard, we'll continue to hear these terrible stories of the secretary, the installer that embezzles 50 grand, 100 grand, million dollars from the business locally where I live. A uh, handful of years back, we had a uh, oil company, like home fuel oil company and related services uh, have millions and millions of dollars disappear because 
they delegated the checkbook. And I would actually say that investors as a whole, like investors as you knew them before our time together today, before this episode, uh, investors as a whole, almost like they should do more of this watching the checkbook. Because when you look at the online world, I'm sorry, the investment world, there is so much money that gets spent on silly things like new logos, new websites that lose sight of the one sole function, and that's to sell things and grow the business. And they spend so much money. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really impact the bottom line. Uh, so I, I feel those investors should continue to manage and look at their checkbook as well. Uh, but never delegate the marketing and never delegate the checkbook. The true investor focuses on revenue growth, which marketing is directly connected to because the whole goal of marketing is to get a customer. So this isn't so much about like margin and expenses. You need to watch those things as well. This is where your teams can come in. Um, your operations team can come in. They can understand what the margin needs are. They can understand where expenses make sense and where they don't make sense. Uh, does it impact the customer experience? For me, it's almost always a yes. If, if we can show uh, through quantifiable discussions or through qualitative things, like we think this will impact the customer experience because we've seen it over here. So we feel it'll work there. We'll say yes and try it. But ultimately, if those expenses don't improve or lift the experience, they should be cut. But your focus as far as dollars and cents go in relation to the money people give you is on price elasticity, which might be a new term. Might be something you're thinking, well, what, what exactly do you mean by price elasticity? Price elasticity is about stretching the norms. The one retail business that I own, uh, the average ticket is $1,200 in our industry. Our average main master bedroom ticket is over $3,000. That's price elasticity, the stretch between what the industry average is and where your business exists. And commanding premium prices means you exceed the value that somebody expected to pay. You have shown them through your sales process, through the way they were attracted to you. Maybe that's through fantastic marketing messages. Maybe that's through an amazing referral system. Maybe that's through an abundance of reviews that you are the right fit. They have found you and trust and realize you are the solution. And at the end of the day, it comes down to you have demonstrated and they can affirm. And this is what selling in this day and age in 2022, when I record this, you might listen to it later as we're near the end of this year. Selling is about affirmation. The days of hardcore selling are gone. So, Moving into this investor seat role means you're going to not only shift all the things you do to your team, you're going to maybe shift your whole paradigm from selling, from more hardcore force-driven tactics to affirmation. Because as the information age blossoms, as we become more connected with our society, with our world, with the information at hand, as we get to that point, uh, if you're bucking that trend of connectiveness and affirmation through hardcore selling technique, you're going to find yourself in a tough spot. And that's that position of affirmation. 
when your marketing messages say to the person reading your ad and whatever media, television, radio, print, digital, doesn't matter. When your marketing message checks the box, turns a switch in the person's mind and like, hey, this is the company for me. They're speaking. It's like they wrote this ad for me. When that happens and then it's followed up by a fantastic first connection, first greeting on the phone or in person or through email or other digital media connection. And that box checks. And then the presentation of solution checks. That's where your price elasticity stretches. That's where you're able to be the person that tremendously exceeds the value. You go way beyond what that person thought they could get out of this purchase. And you become the person who can command the highest prices and people are happy to pay you for it. And it doesn't mean you rip people off at all. It just means you over-deliver and they are overjoyed that they can be your customer and you have the solution for them. That's price elasticity. And that's one of the biggest, juiciest, like big old steak on the plate, sit down to enjoy it, relish in the moment investor-like actions that you can take is committing to that price elasticity. But you got to back it up. You can't just say, I'm going to charge premium prices today because somebody else over here has demonstrated they're doing it and has suggested it. You have to have all the pieces lined up. Okay, uh, Some of those pieces are creating repeatable promotions and events. Okay, Because if you're constantly searching for new, remember, we're not Coca-Cola at this level. Okay. Now, if you're listening to this, you're over 50 million bucks. You know, um, I've really not worked in that world. Being transparent, I've got no problem with it. Um, but if you're in the, that small business level and you're not Coca Cola, where you just kind of have to come up with something new this quarter because you got to live and die by the quarter, uh, you need to have repeatable, successful promotions and events. Because you and your team, you don't have the bandwidth. And it doesn't make sense to constantly chase new. You need to create what works and what's foundational and what becomes something that gets dropped in like an asset into your business that you just tap over and over and over again so that life for your team becomes easier your customers can expect a big event, maybe around Black Friday, maybe around your anniversary, and they look for it, and you can speak to it. Price elasticity also means you extend customer retention and repeat sales rate, so they remain your customer longer because you continue to affirm after the fact you're the right fit. You don't one-night stand them. I got a lot of really great puns with customer relationships because I do business in the bedroom. If you didn't know, one of those businesses I co-own is a retail mattress store. So I get to say all the fun things. Do business in your bedroom. I don't one night stand you. But that's really the truth. All jokes aside, I say do business in your bedroom because we take it serious. That business, we have to take it serious. The level of trust required to have two strangers come into your private personal bedroom in which maybe your parents have never been in your home. Think about that. What level of trust do you need to create in your business with your teams, with your customers, 
to have two strangers walk into their bedroom and never have an issue. So that point of affirmation has to continue after that first purchase. Don't one night stand your customers. They'll see it, they'll get it, and they'll never come back. That's creating that retention and then the moments of repeat sales is so incredible. I, I referenced earlier how you know some bigger equity and Wall Street type investors should maybe look at the checkbook and keep control of the checkbook a little more because there's some competitors that I have in the mattress space that are spending upwards of three, four, five hundred dollars to acquire a customer. It's unsustainable against their average ticket. It's not profitable. And it's why that side of the online industry is really struggling right now because we've gestated to a point where all of those early money people in round one and even round two in that five to seven year cycle, they're like, show me the money, pay me now. And subsequent investors and new investors are seeing, okay, this cow's been milked just about enough. Now we have to do things that make money and they don't know how to function. Because they're not really taking those investor-like actions. They have investors who just throw money at it because as long as revenues are going up, everything is good and quarter over quarter they win. But you and me at the small business world on Main Street, as I like to say it, we got to balance our checkbook each and every day. So if we're not looking at things like that, if we, if we don't maintain control of the checkbook, we have problems. And that's why increasing our customer ticket while exceeding the expectation of value. I can't say it enough. Can't just charge higher prices and expect people to pay you. You have to demonstrate that what you're selling, you have to affirm it's the right fit and an exceedingly tremendous value to the point where they thought it was going to be great, but like what you just did for them is 10 times better. And they will rave about it and pay you for it. And that's perfectly fine. Having this accepted relationship with money is paramount to you being your own investor and going through each day as the own, as your own investor in your own business. You have to be able to talk about money like this because money is a tool and it's a tool to make your customers extremely happy. And you do that when the price you ask exceeds the value that they expected to get. The other thing you're going to do in, in your day as an investor. And I talked about this about creating repeatable promotions, events, promotions and events. I apologize is you're going to create assets. That's what, that's what those things are. You're creating assets out of these things, uh, like books, books that say, I'm an authority. I'm an expert in this marketplace. I've got the information for you. Come check it out. We'll send it to you, whether that's free or paid, free plus ship it, shipping. There's all kinds of things you can test and try. But foundationally, in every business I'm involved in, we have that because it is such a foundational asset that we've proven time and again works. It's worked in the businesses that I have direct ownership in. It's worked in businesses that I've consulted in and worked with. I've done it in deck building. I've done it with furniture. I've done it with tax prep. I've done it with chiropractic. I've done it with real estate investing. Creating a marketing asset like a book is just so game-changing, so foundational because when all the cards are on the table, when your prospect is looking at all the proposals, 
all the business cards with scribble notes on the back, the emails that they don't print, so now you're not part of the conversation. When all of it is out on the table, and there sits your book that positions you as an authority, that again affirms you're the right fit. Don't just write a book to say you're great. Produce an incredible book to showcase how you are the choice, the only choice, and the value on top of value on top of value that your customers will get from you. That's the kind of book you need to have. That's the kind of marketing asset you need to have. Your ads, again, like I said, you know, Coca-Cola has teams worldwide just sitting around a conference room thinking of spitballing, new idea, new idea, new idea, Okay. I mean, the the name on the Coca-Cola bottle is really a fantastic promotion, but it's really actually just kind of a silly promotion, right? It, there's there's no promise of new product. There's no there's no new improved taste. There's no low and reduced sugar. Uh, there's no flavor add-in like vanilla Coke or orange Coke or cherry Coke. Okay, none of that. It's just it's your name on it. But you know what? In marketing, using somebody's name is the most favorite word that your customer could possibly hear because it's their own name. So it was very, very smart, but it's also one of those promotions that just like, okay, now we still have to find the new one. For me, the people I work with, the businesses I own, I like to say, let's create ads, whether they're print, digital, TV, radio, doesn't matter. Um, an ad is an ad is an ad. It has the same core tenants, headline, offer, call to action, deadline, I'll repeat it again, a great ad, proper marketing message has a headline, an offer, a call to action, a deadline. If you don't have those four things, it's not an ad. You can't track it. You don't know if it's going to work and you're shooting in the dark. But you create these ads as assets. We have an ad in the retail, retail business that I call on. It's four reasons to buy. And we use that ad all the time. And it's very simple to deploy. And when it's time to advertise, it just goes out. We change the dates. And it, you know we advertise in a pattern in which it doesn't become white noise to the readership. It goes in, it goes out, and it looks new. Inside cover here, back cover there, middle of it, uh, middle of the publication. This month, doesn't matter. It always looks new. So those assets are very, very important. Another asset I think so many people miss is your selling process and your fulfillment process. That's an asset. If you really work it, if you really think about what are the words and the actions that my team can take to delight my customer? And you work with your team to create that, and then you give that process back to your team for them to own it and run it. You look at your indicators, you measure them, you talk with your team about, are we hitting those indicators or not? Are bookends of how we greet and how we close consistent? Because what happens in the middle, that's where the personality can come in. But if you don't get out of the gate right and you don't end the gate or end the race right, you lose the race in the middle. Those bookends are so important in your selling process and you have to figure those out. And once you get it, it becomes this asset. Same thing with fulfillment. There's things you can do for your customers, whether that's in the home or from afar, that really can make them elated with their choice to do business with you. And ultimately, when you put all this together and cobble your own brand or cobble it all together, this creates your brand. 
Okay. I never said start with the brand first. I said marketing's sole jobs to create a customer and those happy customers create your brand because they talk about your brand and they recommend your brand and they recommend your business all the time. So that's your day as an investor student. That was a big chunk, but that's what this journey looks like. That's what your day looks like. You're working to create those things. Uh, you're working to control the, the checkbook and the expenses so that everything you do creates an amazing or benefits an amazing five-star experience and then converts a customer. So there's two other seats to discuss, right? We've talked about you know, that shift from fireman to Chivo, chief everything officer, to CEO, right? Which is where most people, I think their conventionalism stops. To, I'm saying, sit in that seat as the investor in your own business, right? Be your own investor. I'm not, and just to clarify, I'm not saying take money from a savings account and put it back in your business and do some finagling inside of this LLC to that one and then S Corp and run it through the tax form that way. No, I'm just saying make actions like you had a board of investors or an investor. Be that investor in your business, okay? But there's two other seats that exist that uh, I call investor seats and are very real investor seats that you might have been thinking of when you saw or take in this episode. So the first one is, you know, that equity infusion investor seat. This means you take on partners. And, uh, and this is a decision not to be taken lightly. Uh, you should feel very good about taking on an equity partner. Uh, if you've been a fan of mine following me, you know I take a somewhat dim approach to equity partners uh, because in my uh, in in my life, where I've spent a lot of time in the furniture, mattress industry, all sides of that retail, wholesale, product development, sourcing, uh, equity has been a real you know equity partnerships have been a, have not been good. It's been a real sore spot for a lot of people. There's been a lot of case study where in case history, where equity comes in and just robs the venture of its assets and guts it. And that's the whole game. And it's the whole game because the business is not focused on that price elasticity. The business is not focused on marketing assets and in scalable actions where customers love doing business with you. They're overjoyed. So they are happy to invest. The businesses are focused on that one night stand, that transactional business. And as technologies evolved, as consumer shopping habits have changed, that one night stand action, that simple business proposition of we have good services, you have money, let's make the exchange. That is so 1995. Okay. You cannot exist. As a business, just looking to make that exchange. Costco does it better. I'm a Costco member. I like going to Costco. Uh, they are an adversary competitor of mine and, and the business I, I co-own. Um, but I like going there because I get value when I go there. Um, but the reality is that equity in that equity mindset can be really bad, but it can also be really good when you align with the right people. But they're not going to align with you if you're just making that exchange. They might align with you if you're making that exchange because you have a lot of assets. But then I would look out. I would definitely be looking out for what the motive is. Because if the motive isn't growth and you don't have the platform for growth, unless they're explicitly saying, we're going to bring that growth platform in, 
And we recognize you have the team to accept and dovetail that platform in. I would be very careful. They're going to probably look to do the typical equity plan that I've seen, and that's strip the company bare and end it. Okay. But I've come across good equity partners that are committed to, to Main Street as I am. Okay. They are committed to seeing you succeed. They recognize this person is not on the front lines putting out fires. They have a team. They have something to invest in. They have great assets. They have a great brand. They have great marketing. They just need our amplification, aka money. They need our team to come in and really take this thing from 10 to 11. All right. That's my little, um, my little, uh, Oh, Jesus just went right off the top of my head. Let's let's not take it to 10. Let's take it to 11. Um, oh, rock movie. I just totally, totally messed that one up. Anyway, I think you get what I'm saying. Um, so that's the one investor seat where you take on an equity partner and you now have an investment in your business. Uh, you'll typically get cash as that payday um, to, to bring them in. All right, this is Spinal Tap. Thank you, Chris. That's why I have a great team around you. Yet again, proving my point. Um, there we go. We take it from 10 to 11. That's what a good equity partner can do. All right. Um, the other one is, 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 uh, uh, is where you have uh, the sale of your business. Okay. Um, so the equity partners are going to look to drop money in. They're going to look to get a return like any typical definition of an investment. The other one is sale. And this is where partial or whole. Um, and then you're on to the next thing, whether that's kind of being part-time, you know, put on the board or you're just bought out. But those are the two other investment seats. Uh, so for any of those to open up, any of these seats to open up and actually be sad and actually have impact on your business. All right. Whether this is creating your own seat you sit in, getting that equity infusion, uh, or a buyout. I'll wrap up our time today with this. Uh, here's what has to happen first. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You can't be the bullet catcher. You can't be the one on the front lines taking the customer complaints, doing the premium selling, overseeing the fulfillment, making sure your taxes are being paid on payroll. Uh, handling HR complaints. You can't be that bullet catcher. That is not attractive at all to anybody looking to invest in your business or buy it. Uh, likewise, you will never shift from that Chivo, chief everything officer seat to the CEO seat, let alone the investor seat. All right. Second, you got to have a team. All right. Typically, your team is going to consist of uh, your sales department, your operations department, um, maybe HR, payables, finance comes into operations, but it's best if it's uh, finance and HR is broken out into their own. But you know, if you're a $2 million business, probably not going to happen. Okay, uh, But you can still align roles and responsibilities around that structure. So your team is at the bottom of the pyramid sales, operations, HR, finance, then you have your COO, that's typically your integrator, 
Then you have your CEO, okay, you as the visionary. And then over-encompassing all that is the investor seat. The investor seat sits at the top and guides it all. And until you get into that investor seat, you're maybe down there in those bottom roles, just trying to kind of climb up and, and, and get up there. And it becomes difficult. So without that team in place, without understanding those roles need to exist, they need to be separate and they need to be delegated. And if you can't delegate them, you got to lay the process out. You got to lay the systems out. That's the third point. So maybe you can't afford an HR manager. Maybe you can't afford a CFO or even a fractional CFO at this point. What you can absolutely positively do is lay out the system. Lay out the system for how you manage employee conflict. Lay out the system for how you uh, sell customers and what your discounting process is. Lay out the system for your referrals and reviews. Lay that out. Because if you don't have that system in place, you don't understand what the roles are. How in the world do you ever hire for that, for that person? How do you properly communicate the job? You just have somebody like peer into what your chaotic life looks like each day and expect them to say, oh yeah, I want to be a part of this clown show. No. So you have those systems in place, you lay out those roles, and then you work to them. I mean, one of the greatest quotes that's out there is Wayne Gretzky's quote about, you know, his success in the NHL and scoring the most points. He didn't skate to where the puck uh, was. He was skate skating to where it was going to be. And he always was steps ahead. And that's why the puck hit the back of the net so many times for him. So when you create those systems and lay out those roles, hiring becomes easier. Delegating becomes easier because people have the playbook and you can step out, stop being that bullet catcher. You have to have marketing assets. That's the fourth, fourth point of getting out of those other seats and into the investor seat. If you don't have those marketing assets, you're not fueling new customer growth. You're not increasing that price elasticity. You're not creating ways for your customer to affirm that you're the right fit. Therefore, they're not going to fill in that gap between what your industry normally does and what you feel you can command and, and fill that gap of price elasticity. Those marketing assets that affirm you're the right fit, you've got the right product and service, fill that void and create tremendous revenue growth for you. And, and then devise a system five, devise a system for having new offers. All right. So once you have your team and you have the systems of how you're going to handle new customers and you have the marketing assets, now you begin aligning those marketing assets to create new products, create new services that you can execute on. Because so many businesses end up failing because they went out and they tried this, this other thing, but it didn't dovetail in because maybe they didn't have the right role. You know, um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of roofing companies that jump into solar and they oversell solar for what it can do and the value proposition it can give. Um, the folks that I know that run exceptional roofing companies that have a solar division or vice versa have entire teams of people dedicated to the crossover of the two. They don't just say, Oh yeah, here's, here's this offer we can put in front of you, Mr. and Mrs. Customer. They have a transfer to that side of the company to properly fulfill and affirm and deliver the new service, the new product that's the right fit. So generating those new offers is, is important because let's face it, new is important. 
It is how we grow our business. You're going to have a system to handle issues. All right. You can't just have it land on your desk. You can't just have it land on the sales manager's desk without giving that person the opportunity to, to make somebody happy. And you have to support them. They have to know they have your support. If they don't, uh, you're not going to be happy with how they end up solving things. And then in this day and age, that point of affirmation, being in that position of your customer affirming for themselves you're the right fit, having systems to generate reviews and referrals, got to happen. Cannot shift into the investor scene if you do not have that. And ultimately, I've touched on this. It's where I decided to wrap up. Uh, having a defined purpose, a mission, and a set of values. So I'll, I'll through the lines of my retail store, our purpose is to unlock the true potential of our customers so they wake up happy and are more productive and more happy in their day. Happiness. That's our purpose. And if you got a bad bad sleep last night, you woke up grumpy, you know what I'm talking about. Well, my business, I believe we can impact that. We can be a part of that conversation. That's our purpose. Uh, our mission supports that purpose because until we change, and this is the mission, until we change the way our customers view mattress stores, that purpose is just empty words. A lot of folks talk about something similar. We're the sleep experts, we're the sleep consultants, but Really, it's just somebody out of college that went through the training process talking with them. So our mission, change the way you feel about mattress stores because if our purpose exists to unlock your true potential through better sleep so you wake up happy and are more productive, therefore, we have a better community. Therefore, we have happier customers to serve in our community. Therefore, our business perpetuates. If we believe that purpose, that mission has to support it in that way. We have to change the way you feel. So maybe this recipe as I'm wrapping up, it's something you, a big juicy nugget you can take away from it. And then your values support that mission, right? This is the way I see purpose and mission values working. The mission, the values drive the mission and the mission upholds the purpose. And your values uh, could, could be combined out of an acronym that's important and impactful for your business. Um, they have to mean something, but you have to align them, right? So everybody can remember them. So your people can know what their day means. One of our biggest values, again, this ties into our mission, say what you do, do what you say. Integrity. Because if our mission is to change the way our customers feel about mattress stores, our industry as a whole has a big problem with integrity. It's why the whole online industry came to be. Because our industry was out of integrity with itself. So one of our core values is say what you do, do what you say, operate with integrity. So that purpose, mission, values, I don't feel you can shift into that investor seat if you don't have that at all. That's why I thought I would end on this note because that journey to your own investor seat, we cover what it looks like, what your day can be, what it shouldn't be, all of it supported with your proper purpose, mission, and values. If you actually go to my website, thejeffg.com, you can click on a button that has my Forbes Business Council profile. I actually just had an article published on just that point about purpose, mission, and values, about giving your customers a story to be told and behold, the story they tell others about you and the story for them and why they're such a fan. 
Uh, so you go to thejeffg.com. You can check it out there. I've really enjoyed uh, the solo flight today. We do a lot of work. There's uh, my wonderful producer bringing it up. Normally, we have a lot of uh, on-screen visual for you throughout our shows. But this one, I just kind of wanted to be speaking to you. Uh, I had a lot to say on this topic. and didn't want to distract. So, uh, but yeah, if you go to thejeffg.com, you can connect with me there and all the things that I'm involved in and do. But purpose, mission, and value is real important as the basis for all this. Uh, it's hard to get to that investor seat if you don't have that in line and define uh, and set forth for you, uh, for your team, and ultimately for your customers to affirm you're the right fit. So that is our time today. I very much appreciated the solo flight with you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Big Ticket Life, and I will see you next week when we go live again Tuesday at noon. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life, and now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift, book your call, go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.